0: Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We praise you and we magnify you. Thank you for utterance to speak as we ought to speak. Give us ears to hear what you're saying to us today. And we'll give you the glory and the honor, the praise and the thanksgiving for what will be accomplished by your word and by your spirit in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning, church. How are you this morning? Praise the Lord. It is great to see you, great to be with you. Look at somebody next to you and say, the life of God dwells in me. and The life of God dwells in you. Therefore, you have victory in every situation, under every circumstance, and in every place. And your victory releases a fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere you go. Praise the Lord. You can be seated. Hallelujah. Open your Bibles to Romans, the fifth chapter. I want to jump in here uh, this morning. We have a lot to uh, cover this morning. We've been in our message, PPE, patience, perseverance, and endurance. And so, we really have uh, taken some time to talk about patience and understand, really, that, that, that patience is not just sitting back and waiting. But, you know, Paul prayed in, in, in the, to the Colossian church. He said, you know, I pray that you'd be filled with the knowledge of God's will, with all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being productive or fruitful in every good work, strengthened with mighty power, with all patience, and long-suffering with joy. He said, we're going forward. He says, knowing that we've been qualified to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, we've been delivered from the power of darkness, conveyed into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. So he gives this whole thing, but he says, in the midst of living out that life, you'll need patience and long-suffering. There's going to be circumstances and situations that will challenge you, that will try to pull you back to not knowing that you've already been qualified, pull you back into works rather than faith. He said, you'll have to understand that. And so that patience, we've talked about it from this standpoint. Uh, Just in our series of messages, you can go and break down word studies and find out that patience, perseverance, and endurance are fairly interchangeable. But where we go to James and he says, the trying of your faith works patience. Wherever we are in our growth place, the enemy is always going to try to challenge your faith. What I mean by that is situations will happen and he'll question, well, if God's real, why did this happen? Really, uh, you're confessing that, you've confessed that, why isn't it happening? And all of a sudden, he's trying to create a doubt that if God's word is true, if God exists, why is this happening? Whenever wherever that test comes, we need to dive into the word of God, not, not wonder what's happening, but dive into the word of God and really begin to wait on him and, and, and wait on the word to be revealed into our hearts. So we begin this intertwining as Isaiah uh, 40 tells us that he that waits on the Lord will renew his strength. That word wait means to intertwine together like strands of rope get intertwined. It makes us stronger to, to, to get to that place where we believe God. So Smith Wigglesworth said this, he said, I'm not moved by what I see, I'm not moved by what I feel, but I'm moved by what I believe, and I believe God. And so if we're moving forward in life, there's going to be all kinds of emotions, things that test our emotions, there's going to be all kinds of things that we see. I don't know if you've seen anything that could have distressed you or challenged your faith in the last couple of years, but uh, the probability is great that you have. And uh, he said, I'm not moved by that. Why? Because I've intertwined myself. I've taken the time to get God's word in my heart. And so I know things that are going to challenge, things that I see are going to challenge me. I know things that I feel are going to challenge me, but I'm set on what I believe, and I believe God. And So that's what patience does for us if we, if, if we wait on the Lord, not just sit back and wait for God to do that, but we take our time to find out what God has said, what God wants to do, what he's promised us. So when we know what he's promised us, we can move forward in faith, we can move forward in confidence. As we move forward in confidence, because we continue in patience, we have that patient continuance to stay in the word of God, we have faith that God's called us forward We'll encounter circumstances. We'll encounter situations that will come against our life. And Paul addresses that. He says, therefore, in verse 1, he says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we glory in tribulation, knowing that. That tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, hope, or character, and character, hope. And now hope doesn't disappoint us because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. He said, listen, there's going to be trouble that comes, but we know something. We can glory in trouble because we know that this difficulty is going to produce perseverance. We're going to stay in faith through it. And if we stay in faith through it, character is going to be developed. And once our character is developed, there's hope. There's hope. Now, you might not connect that, but you just have to think about it. Where you seemed inadequate in your character to handle it, now when that's developed, it produces a new hope. I'm able to go on. I'm able to stick with God because he's taking me through this. And so in talking about perseverance, we spent the last couple of weeks talking about some things, day-to-day life. You know, you just have to go through life and persevere some things. And so there's the challenges that come. There's the small things that come into our life every single day, right? Jesus said, if we're faithful with the little things, then we'll be faithful with much. And so it's just really the little things, whether you're serving, whether it's something at your job, whether it's serving at church or just God tells you, just, you know, go up to that person and say a kind word, make some cookies for someone, do something small, All of a sudden, we start to realize that why is God having me do this? Because there's opportunity in the small things. Things that I really can do, and it opens up greater avenues for me. I was telling the first service, you know, when we began to pastor the church, I really just got in my heart. I was praying and felt like uh, God wanted me to send birthday cards and anniversary cards to every single person which I hope you're getting your birthday and anniversary cards still. I sign all of those myself. Uh, They come across my desk. I pray for you. Uh, uh, I'm glad. I can't sell it. They're stacks now when we started off. They were just small, and I could remember everybody's birthday. And so if you say thank you, and I'm trying to remember whether it was last week or the week before, Please don't hold that against me. I'm still looking uh, at those as they're brought onto my desk, looking at those, looking at anniversaries. I'm always thrilled about anniversaries. You know, how many people uh, that I've been able to do the ceremony for, how many people still in their church that I didn't do your ceremony. I thought by now it'd be about everybody, but it's not. There's more actually that I haven't done than have. But I thought, this is just a small thing, God. It's not going to matter. It's just a small thing, but all right, I'll send birthday cards. Then I started finding out people would, would come and thank you for the birthday card. How kind it was. Sometimes people would miss weeks after weeks. We hadn't, wouldn't even see them in church. And all of a sudden, they'd show up at church. I got your birthday card. Well, it just reminded them. They were thankful as they started coming back to church. Create a whole new opportunity. Sometimes an opportunity for somebody I haven't talked to for a while. Now I get to talk to them. I find out what's going on in their life just because of a birthday card to say thank you. Small things open up great opportunities. And in those opportunities, we began to see in those opportunities we talked about, the second thing is our motivation. Our motive has to be pure. If our motivation is us, small small things, it's like seems insignificant. But when our motivation is our love for God and our love for people, then we begin to say, you know what, whatever the opportunity that I have to minister to somebody, to do something kind for somebody, my motivation picks me up. And now when my motivation picks me up, my, my motive is right. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, most of you know it, it says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. He said, listen, communication, whatever it is, without the motivation of love, doesn't get communicated accurately. He said, though I have faith to remove mountains, understand all mysteries, uh, uh, dynamically, I, I, I missed something right in there, but um, forgive me. Uh, Now I'm drawing a total blank. Anyway, he says, though I have spiritual giftings, without love, I'm really nothing. We can boast about our spiritual gifts. Look at, I have prophecy. Look at, I I prayed and that happened. He said, but if it's not with love, you're really not who you think you are. He says, though I give my body to be burned, give all my goods to feed the poor. He said, if I'm doing that to be noticed rather than love, it really doesn't profit me anything. What's he talking about? He's saying your motivation, whether it's communication, whether it's operating in your giftings, whether it's giving, if the motive isn't correct, it really doesn't produce what you think it's producing. So we start to look at our motive. Once we see our motive working, we begin to develop and understand, wow, if I do this with the right motive and I start with the small things and develop my skill and develop a a relationship, now my credibility is being built. People know why I'm doing what I'm doing. They realize that I can do what I said I would do. And now with my credibility, doors begin to open that no one can shut. I'm able to walk into places with a a credibility before people because I've taken on the small things and I've seen opportunity and my motive is about people. And so this comes every day and we reject some of the small things. And sometimes our motive is not set. But then we stand in a place and say, just trust me. And people say, why would I trust you? But when we build our credibility, people can put their trust in us, and we do what we say that we're going to do. I want to cover a couple of things this morning, and I'm going to cover two things, and I'll try to get through it in a timely fashion. (laughs) I didn't do that good on the first service, but I'm on a roll. Praise the Lord. Turn over to Matthew chapter 8. We have really been dealing with this in our culture for a number of years now. Uh, I believe God wants us as a church to understand this and really develop in our own hearts and our own lives with him what only he can do to develop us in in the understanding of where we are. I want to talk a little bit about the challenge that we face every day with authority. In our country for decades now, since I was really, I mean, it may have started way before this, but since I was a young boy, our culture has really been working on questioning and standing against and pulling down authority. We're really at a critical time as a church in where we are in understanding authority. And I'll preface it with this before we get into it because it's so important. You have been given authority. In this room, every person that's made Jesus Christ the Lord of their life, you have been delegated the highest authority that's ever been given unto man. Jesus said, all authority has been given unto me. Right, prior to that, he said, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy so that nothing shall by any means hurt you. He said, I give you power. We know it's the power of the Holy Spirit because he said, wait in Jerusalem till you're endued with power from on high. We have power from God, authority. Paul prayed that in Ephesians. He said, I pray that you would understand, that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you would know the hope of your calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance, the exceeding greatness of his power that he showed towards us who believe. The same power, dunamis, miracle-working power that raised Christ from the dead seated him far above all principality, power, might, and dominion. In other words, he said, I've released miracle-working power, but I also released exousia, authoritative power over principalities and powers. So you possess authority, so our view of authority is critical. Because if we don't view authority in our life properly, we will not be able to walk in the authority that has been bestowed upon us. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed and dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Now, listen, that's a normal response. Jesus is like, wow, I'll come. Because that's what everybody had been asking Jesus to do. My child is dead. Will you come? He said, I'll come. He said, if you're willing... I'm willing. That's what everybody's asking. Just, just pray for me right here. Be in your presence. But this is a unique story in the fact that Jesus said, I'll come. And he said, wait a minute. I'm a Roman soldier. We don't connect this way. Sturried answered him and he said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. But only speak a word and my servant will be healed. Come on. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. I want you to notice something and read it. He always says, I'm under authority and have people under me. He never talks about how he's in authority. Come on. He's looking at a chain of command and understanding something in humility. There's really power in humility. He said, I'm under authority, and I have those under me. For I also am a man under authority. I have soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. I say to another, come, and he comes. And my servant do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled. I don't know if you know what marveled is, but I'll just demonstrate to you. This is marveled. So when that centurion said it, Jesus' jaw, jaw dropped open. And then he looked at his disciples. He looked at Peter, James, and John. And he said this with jaw open. I have not found such great understanding of authority in all my life Except from this military man. No, he didn't say that. Just in case. <laughs> Just trying to wake you up. He looked and he said, I have not found such great faith. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. Not even in you guys. Come on. You've been following me around. Took a Roman soldier to nail down how faith really works. The power of faith really works. It's understanding authority. It's understanding that if God delegated it to you, you can speak to those under you and things have to move. That's right. Understanding authority. But in the body, many times we don't understand the authority that we've been given. And so, not understanding the authority being given, we look at natural authority and we start to get cockeyed. When we get cockeyed with natural authority, all of a sudden it starts to diminish If we begin to despise authorities around us, we despise the very principle and we are unable to walk in authority that's been delegated to us. And believe me that God wants us to walk in the authority that he's called us to walk in. He wants us to take authority over the power of the enemy when he attacks your body, when he attacks your finances. But even more so, he wants us to step up with the power and the authority that we have in prayer. And so I'm I'm just going to be able to scratch the surface. I recommend that you read uh, John Bevere's book, Honor's Reward, or you get a hold of uh, Rick Ranner's book, Life Ablaze. He has a chapter there on the two things that we're going to talk about even this morning. But they're very crucial, I believe, to where we are as the body of Christ today. So the first thing in the first place that we understand authority is there's governmental authority. And right now in... In the place that we live in, our governmental authority is a challenge in our life. It's a challenge to begin to walk in and and understand how in the world are we supposed to respond to the things that are going on. In Romans chapter 13, verse 1, it says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment upon themselves. I knew it would get quiet. Not this quiet. When you can hear a pin drop on the carpet, that's quiet. So we're living in a day where we have to understand that God has set up governments. God set them up. We always get confused. Well, wait a minute. The person in that place... I don't think they're worthy of respect or listening to it. But you begin to undermine your own authority. You begin to bring a despising of authority. And you begin to not realize what's happening because it's subtle. It's a strategy of the enemy. To begin to talk about authority, people in authority, but begin to bring down the office that was set to protect us. And we've seen a deterioration of governmental offices because of the people who held those offices and really a disrespect for the people and the office begins to tear down that place. But when we don't respect what God has set up, then how can God respect what he set up in us? And so we have to begin to realize and understand that God set some things up. And that doesn't mean that every single person that occupies that place is a good person. But how we respond to that office, how we respond to those things. David was not under a good leader. David was under Saul. Saul had been, become selfish and prideful. And through that, he'd become insecure. He knew that he hadn't fulfilled the will of God. He had rebelled, actually, against God's authority. And so God repented for making him king. David was already anointed to be the next king. His leader is hunting him down to kill him. And he's actually fleed for his life. Saul, while hunting him down, goes into the cave, lays in the cave, takes a nap. David comes out, has a knife in his hand, is certainly well able to take Saul's life. I'm sure that in his mind, I know his men said, do it, do it, do it. The crowd was trying to gin him up like, you're the next king. Go ahead, make it now. Kill him today, you're king tomorrow. But he had too much of an understanding of sowing and reaping in the authority that God set up that he said, I will not touch God's anointed. He cut off a piece of his clothing. He let him know the next day when Saul was yelling at him, he said, listen, I could have taken your life, but I respect the office of God too much. Because one day I'm going to stand in that same office and know that without respecting authority, I'll have none. None. Come on. Listen, keep in mind while you're being upset about what I'm about to say. (laughs) That the ultimate is your ability to take authority over your own life. To take authority over the strategies of the enemy. And for us as a church to begin to pray in a dynamic way of authority. Because after all. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against yeah. spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Yeah. That our authority does not come in the same sense. Our authority comes. That even over Washington, D.C., that if we'll understand authority and we'll respect authority, we begin to step into our place of authority and we begin to bind principalities and powers, rulers of the darkness of this age over the nation's capital and we begin to bind them and we begin to loose the spirit of God into Washington, D.C. to affect the minds and the hearts of people that God, by our declaration, will begin to influence them in the night hours and wake them up at night as he has with leaders in the past and begin to create change by the authority that we have. But when we despise authority in our life, we diminish our own authority and capability of handling things in the spirit realm to change things. Come on, church. We take our authority to rise up. We don't back down. We call what's right, right. And we call what's wrong, wrong. But we don't begin to enter into what the devil wants us to enter into. So Second Peter, he lines this out. He said, there's, there's people already, sounds super familiar. There's groups of people that gather together that they are not even afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Now listen, if you study that out, it says they're actually not even afraid to speak evil of God. They go out and they riot and they destroy. But he's warning, he's writing the letter. He says, "They even some of them eat among you. Do not be like them. So listen, (laughs) we see where people spoke evil against God's people. Spoke evil against dignitaries and God dealt with them. Come on, it's not our place to begin to exchange reviling for reviling, persecution for persecution. It's ours to call out right, ours to call out wrong. When they say you do wrong, we don't have to obey that because we defer to a higher power. When we see righteousness prevailing, we walk in and we shine with that righteousness and declare it. But we don't have to enter into the things that begin to undermine And destroy what God has set up. The second area that we have to understand is really domestic authority. For the sake of time, I'll I'll just, you refer to it, you can read it. Domestic authority husbands and wives, parents and children, employees and employers. Starting in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, he goes into that. He lines that all out. In that particular place, he lines out both roles. He says, there's authorities that I've set up, and they're for benefit, and they're for good. So when you read it, we always get it backwards. Husbands read what wives should be doing and hold them to that. And they forget to read their part, which I'll just remind you, in Ephesians chapter 5, two-thirds of that is written to the husband, just in case you wanted to know. I know you just thought he said, wives, submit to me, but he actually said a lot more about you. And so when husbands read about their role of responsibility in authority, it puts responsibility on them. And when wives read and understand that my submission to that authority creates a covering, now we show respect to one another. We take responsibility for situations, and it works in God's way that we can be stronger together than we ever were apart. This dominating, domineering, putting under the thumb, that's not what God has planned for authority. He has protection, safety, and forward movement in strength with authority. Parents with children. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Children, obey your parents. It's the first commandment with promise. So you'll live long. God wants us to live long, and he wants us as a family unit to affect legacy and to join together. It's a powerful place that God set up. Paul is talking about slaves and masters. We can put that employees, employers. Employers. Employees read that part where you work every day is unto the Lord to bring glory to Him. Masters treat everybody fairly so that there's there. there's great protection. The employer is taking care of the taxes and protection and offering a job. And we're working is unto God, and so as covenant people, blessing comes upon our business because He blesses us. Yes. Not we think we're the all-in-all that He couldn't even make it without us. I make Him money. Well, He puts up with your headaches your workman's comp, your taxes. Just saying, all right. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 13 talks about spiritual authority. How spiritual authority watches for your soul. How spiritual authority has been given by God. Numbers chapter 12, verse 1. It says, then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. Just to be clear. Moses married an Ethiopian woman. And Aaron and Miriam didn't like it. So they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only to Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. The Lord is listening. Even when you suspect he's not, he is. But understand it's very important that though your wife or your husband may have selective hearing, God doesn't. And that's very important to us because when we pray according to God's word, he hears us. And when we know he hears us, we know we have the petitions that we ask of him. But if we don't know he hears us when we're complaining and murmuring about people he's put in our life, just know that he's hearing. And when he heard, I'm paraphrasing, you can read the rest. We don't have time to go into all of it. But when he heard it, he said, "Um, y'all get with Moses and come see me. And then God spoke to him. Because he didn't like the way things were going. So he said, come see me. I don't know about you, but if we're listening, generally when we get to murmuring and complaining about people God's put in our life, he will say, <clears throat> tomorrow morning, come see me. Why? Because he wants to, to, to put you down? No, he wants to correct you because it's so important. I don't know how much I can say this, that we start understanding authority. We've crossed over a threshold that the church needs to arise. The church needs to shine. The church needs to know how to conduct itself because God wants to move it into areas where we take our authority. We take our authority over the power of the enemy to cause people to be delivered, sickness to be healed, people to be made whole. We step into our places of authority that when we speak with the wisdom of God, it penetrates to the hearts of people that they know this is right. Why would we continue in wrong when this is right? God wants to raise up a church that's holy and without blemish. He wants to raise up a church that's recognizable, that we're moving in a direction. It doesn't mean everybody's going to love it. It's just going to make a difference. Are you all with me? So there's three attitudes, good attitudes, wrong attitudes we're going to talk about real quick. Real quick. Good attitudes. To have respect for and submission to so that we obey those in authority, right? Right? So he says, the the key to all that, I'll just wrap it into one, respect. Respect for the office. Show the respect, do the office. So I don't like the person. Show the respect, do the office. Because someday you might be standing in an office that when the office has been disrespected, you with it will be disrespected. But if the office has been held in high respect then you too will be held in respect and have influence from the place that God has positioned you. Amen. Come on. God wants to move you into places that are already set up for you, not tore down by you. He wants to set you in a place that when you speak what he gives you to speak, it has authority. It has power. The wrong attitudes that we have Rebellion. In First Corinthians chapter fifteen, God told uh, uh, <clears throat> King Saul in no uncertain terms: Rebellion is is a sin of witchcraft. He said, "You can come worship me all day long. It means nothing if you're in rebellion against what I've told you. Rebellion is a wrong attitude against authority. Sedition, railing, or reviling. Come on, it's time to just stop assassinating and talking about people and calling names." Man, respect the office. I know what it's like to fill yourself up with news every day and get so frustrated that you just want to out of the abundance of your heart. But how would your heart get full of all that stuff? You listen to it all day long. Praise the Lord. We're just listening to the news. Our congresswoman over here gets to listen to the real thing every day. It's got to be frustrating. You fill your stuff up with all kinds of stuff and what comes out. But that's why we have to guard our hearts. Because if we guard our hearts, we watch what we listen to, we put a check on it, then what starts to come out of our hearts is what we filled our hearts with. And if we filled our hearts with the word of God, we filled our hearts with the love of God, we filled our hearts with what is righteous, then we begin to speak with power and authority. Amen. Doesn't mean that people, Jesus spoke with power and authority, in his hometown found a reason to be offended with him. Right. But he still spoke with authority. Praise the lord so we don't want to just stay in that position of authority why because god's going to raise us up god's going to sit us in a, seat us in places i believe the church is raising up That first of all, we understand the authority that we have in our own life, and we begin to take authority over the strategies of the enemy. We take authority over the sin and the weight that has so easily beset us, and we lay it down. Then we take authority in our home. We take authority. We start to live that life, and it affects people around us. It affects our community. Then it affects a region. Then it affects states. Then it affects nations. God wants us to step out and know, instead of bringing authority down, he wants to lift us up into places of authority. That in our prayer life, we know and have confidence that when we say, in the name of Jesus, something has to move. Now, listen, if you don't think authority is set up, you you talk bad against authority, you don't do what authority God put over you says to do, then just understand this. I might be wrong, but I'm just going to give you this. You can't disprove it. I can't prove it. But when you say, in the name of Jesus, Satan, I command you to take your hands off. Of my child's life. And he says, why would I have to listen to you when you don't listen to the authority put in your life? We can't diminish the authority that God's given to us. But when we're respecting the authority that God put in our life. We're operating him first, the authority that he's put in our life. And we say, now, Satan, in the name of Jesus, you take your hands off of my family. He must take his hands off. No questions asked. Because we've obeyed God. Real quick, secondly, second thing we encountered every day. I believe it's crucial for today. Is you'll have opportunities over and over and over again. Probably before you get out this front door to be offended. Maybe right now as I'm speaking. (laughs) (laughs) To be offended. But it's a trap of the enemy. The word offense means scandal on. It means baiting a trap for you. The enemy uses people to bait a trap for you. He knows what's going on in you. He's seeking whom he may devour. So he brings just the right person with the right personality to say the stupidest thing you ever want to hear, especially in the foyer at church. (laughs) And then you're like, I'm so offended. And he's got you trapped. You'll never move beyond that moment haven't seen you at church. Why don't you come to church? Because people say stuff in the foyer. You just zip back to that day. might be six months later. You just zip back right to that day. Might be at work. Boss told you to do something you didn't like. Small things. I got offended at having to do a small thing. But all of a sudden, the enemy starts working through that offense. My unworthiness, my... My, my inability. Everybody thinks they're better than me. Everybody wants something more than me. People are just this way. It's all up to you and it's up to me because offense will always come. You get to choose whether you receive that offense or you don't receive that offense. People want to say it's always somebody else, but we get to choose. I'm not going to be offended at that. And it's scriptural. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 16 in the Amplified says, A fool's wrath is quickly and openly known, but a prudent man ignores an insult. Ignores an insult. Just let it go. But I can't. Sure you can. You have authority over that insult. Call it down. No, you don't understand. I just can't. I got to tell somebody. Well, you're just passing on, hoping they grab your offense. Now you're both trapped. Proverbs 19, chapter 11, or chapter 19, verse 11. In the Amplified, says, Good sense makes a man restrain his anger, and it is, it is his glory to overlook a transgression or an offense. So they're going to come. It's up to you and I to be able to overlook them instead of look right at them. Most of us look at an offense, we break it down, we piece it apart as to how terrible it is, and we could just overlook it and let it go. Understand this, that offense breeds insecurity, and insecurity breeds offense. And God doesn't want you to be insecure. God wants you to be confident in who you are in Christ, no matter what anybody else says about you, because in that confidence in who you are in Christ, you stand up and you're a light in the world. So I'm going to give you quickly five things to avoid the trap of offense. Number one, define the roles of a relationship accurately and respect the roles that people hold. Define those roles and respect them, right? Sometimes we meet somebody, especially in our, 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 our uh, uh, climate that we live in today. I have 3,000 friends that you don't even know. You have to define correctly what a friend is. You just meet an acquaintance, oh, they're my best buddy. Well, listen, pretty soon they're going to say something that you don't like because they're not your best buddy. Right? Define the roles correctly. And then define them and respect them. You're an acquaintance, and I respect that. And we can grow in that relationship. You're my best friend, so I'm accountable to you. You're accountable to me. You're my parent, and I'm accountable to you. Husbands and wives, join together. What's the role? If you define those and respect those, it helps you to avoid offense. If we have that proper respect, even when tension and conflict arises, we can consider the role, who's speaking to us, and respect that role. Number two, assume the best rather than insisting on the worst. Come on, just assume the best. Somebody said something you didn't like, just assume the best. God, I forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Right? They don't know how this is hitting me. And if they do, what are you going to do about it anyway? But most of the time, people don't even know what they said that really damaged your heart. Because the enemy is seeking whom he may devour. He knows more of what they say will damage your heart and how you'll react than they do. Assume the best instead of insisting on the worst. Number three, don't meddle in other people's business. Proverbs chapter 26, he says, when you meddle in somebody else's business, it's like grabbing a dog by the ears. Your sphere of concern is usually larger than your sphere of influence. Stay within your sphere of influence. Don't get out there to what really doesn't belong to you. Make sure you don't take sides. There's always a couple sides to every story. Make sure you stay objective when somebody wants to share their offense with you, that you don't pick it up and be trapped by it. Number four, don't use relationships to manipulate or control people. Such as, if you loved me, you would do thus and such. If you really cared about my feelings, you wouldn't do that. If you want to be my friend, you have to act a certain way. Well, listen, that's going to be offensive right there. You want to be my friend? Act this way. The moment they don't act that way, you assume they don't want to be your friend, and so you're offended. It's a trap. Just watch out. Don't try to... Just let relationship happen how it's supposed to happen. Don't try to control it. Let God bring people across your path. And lastly, don't expect more than can come forth naturally out of a relationship. Come on, what can come naturally? Offenses come when we keep score. I called you last time. Now it's your turn to call me. I've come to your house the last five times, and you didn't come see me. Listen, if you want to go to somebody's house, go. If they don't want to come to your house, then go to their house. Come on. on. I mean, it's not that hard when we think about it. Why am I always going over to their house? Because you get up and go, I want to go see my friend. They may wake up and not even think about coming to your house. Why? Don't they like me? No. They're planning on you coming over to their house. Because that's what you always do. I brought sugar over to your house a hundred times. You never brought sugar over to my house. It's because you don't need sugar. You have a 10-pound bag. I keep running out. Come on. It's just sometimes silly how we set ourselves up for offense. Come on. I just want to tell you this. It's impossible for an offended person to have a healthy relationship. It's impossible. Because they'll always share their offense, and people don't want to pick it up. They don't want it. It's just... So understand this. Your ability to rise above feelings and resentment and forgive other people is followed by promotion. The moment you can let it go, God's going to move you up to a higher level. Mark chapter 11, verse 25, where we love 24, 23. Man, I say to this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast in the sea. He said, when you're standing in that same exact place where you're trying to move the mountain, and the mountain's not moving so quickly, stop. Look, if you have aught, anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven can forgive you your trespasses. And the moment you found out this mountain isn't moving because I have an offense... And I've forgiven them. God forgives you. And the mountain starts moving. Jesus tells us, Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew 18, he says, when you know that there's wrong between you and a brother or sister, go to them and make it right. Make it right. Why? Because God wants us to live in unity. God's so pleased when brethren dwell in unity not offense. So if we put aside all offense, we come together as the body of Christ. We understand our authority. God's doing something great in our character so that we can step in to 2022 knowing that there's going to be issues, there's going to be problems, but we can rise, we can begin to pray and tear down Strongholds Bind the enemy and the authority that we have. Bring it down. Bringing them down, there's going to be opportunities that open up all over for us to step into places with power and authority. To reach out and stretch forth his hand to see healing and deliverance take place. And when we understand that authority and that power, we begin to respect what God's put in our life so that we can then step into places that have been readily prepared for us because God has been preparing us for what he's prepared for us. When we step into that place, we occupy it. It doesn't occupy us. Come on. And there'll be such strength of character as we allow that to develop. We stick with it. We don't bail on it. Then when the anointing brings you into a place, your character will keep you there it won't be your character that drops you out. It won't be your character that loses you the position that God has given to you. But your character holds you in that place so you can accomplish what God has called you to accomplish. Can you all say amen? amen. God's doing something fantastic. He wants the body to rise up like it's never risen before. He wants to give the devil nightmares because you're laying aside stuff that has hindered us for a long time. Boy, when he wants to poke you about offenses, authority, small things, and you're like, nope, won't do it. I'm gonna walk in what God's called me to walk into. You'll give him nightmares. You do it times this many people, times the morning service, times the body of Christ. It's over. The end is gonna come near. Come on, God's moving. Why don't you stand up? Father, we thank you. We praise you. We magnify and glorify you. For you're worthy of praise, you're worthy of glory and honor. I believe with all of my heart, Holy Spirit, that I've delivered the message that you asked me to. Now I leave it, that you'll deal with every heart and every life. Does they have ears to hear what you're saying? You'll bring grace upon each and every life to empower us to overcome offense To empower us to look at authority in the way that we should, not compromising right and wrong, but watching the words that we speak. That As we watch the words that we speak, we begin to learn what words have power and what words don't, that we truly might be influential in our influence upon others as you place us in their path. Work to develop that character that causes us to look just like you as every day we stick with you We live by faith. We encounter situations and we grow through those by faith and grace We thank you for equipping us for the days that are ahead We give you glory and we give you honor in jesus name Amen, amen. Once you say this we go what god did in christ jesus, jesus. far seeds Any damage done to me by Adam's fall. You can be dismissed. Make it a great day.